0: Playing the blame game for your misfortune Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths of culpability God does not afflict
1: man just because he has it in for somebody God does not bring tragedy on people just because he wants to make somebody squirm Man is the one who brings things upon himself God does not compromise with sin And God does not act indifferent to sin And if you think that you're the exception
0: You're not Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most of us have experienced the frustration of a corrupt file or application while on the computer, and the desperation in seeking professional help for a remedy. Well, in our Simple truth study for today, we come to a section in our series in the book of Jeremiah in which God acknowledges the heart of the nation of Judah as corrupt and in dire need of restoration in order to avoid his judgment. Let's join Pastor Xavier now in chapter 17 for a message titled, Man's Bent is Toward Evil.
1: The prophet Jeremiah has been warning the nation about her sin as well as her captivity, But she refuses to acknowledge or turn away from her sin. And she's believed the false prophets that she's not going to go into captivity. This now is the seventh sermon Jeremiah delivers, which is recorded for us beginning chapter 16 and it goes all all the way to chapter 17, verse 18. What we want to do is look at the section which focuses on Judah's corrupt nature which had no remedy, depicted by a threefold description. And we're going to find this in chapter 17, verse 1 through 13. Let me read this passage for us. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the iron of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of her heart and on the horns of uh, your altars. While their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees and high hills. O my mountain in the field, I will give As plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you even yourselves shall let go of your heritage which I gave to you, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. Thus saith the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see uh, when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted in the waters, which spread out its fruit by the rivers, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cause, or nor will cease, From yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by right. I will leave him in the midst of his days and at his end, He will be a fool. A glorious high mountain from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. The corrupt nature of the nation of Judah had no remedy. And as depicted through a threefold description in our Text here. First of all, the nature of Judah's sin is verse 1 through 4. Secondly, the failure of Judah's sin is in verse 5 through 8. And then the source of Judah's sin is given to us in verses 9 through 13. Let's begin here with the nature of Judah's sin in the first four verses. Notice first in verse 1, the sin of uh, Judah was deeply ingrained. It's a very picturesque uh, identity of her nature here. Uh, The sin of Judah was ingrained so much that it marked her heart. The iron stylus and the diamonds were those who were used to engrave on the hardest material. In other words, her heart was so hard against God. Because of her perpetual life of sin that God engraved in her heart with this iron stylus and with the diamond. Pen, and it could not be removed I mean this was her nature now all of us are sinners by nature but if we continue to feed that and cultivate that then it develops and it hardens have you ever poured cement? well cement's wet you can work with it once it sets up drop your trawls walk away come back with a jackhammer the next day break it out nothing you can do this was the heart of Judah it was chiseled in. Sinning had become her nature. But her perverse nature of that enslaving the mind of her people and dominating the life of her people. She could remove that. And that's sin. Sin has a power. Sin has a dominance. In fact, the Bible says that we were slaves to sin. And we have to be careful of that. As God has delivered us, lest we be engulfed again and entangled in our latter end being worse than the first. Because sin does have an attraction. Sin does have a certain appeal to it. Because that doesn't present itself as shocking at first. But it's very gradual. And so, like the currents in, in the ocean. Or the tide or anything. It's very, very gradual. Now, notice that the horn of her altars also bore the engraving of her sin. Uh, rather than being the altars of God. And the four horns on the altar, these horns were a testimony against her of these idolatrous places. offering Their offerings to idols, they were only the testimony of her own doom. She couldn't hide from it. She wasn't even trying to hide it. But notice secondly in verse 2 that Judah's sin was corrupting her children. See, the children had been contaminated by the witnessing of these altars and these wooden images. The altars of their local gods, the Baals. The gods of fertility is Moloch. Their children had witnessed the type of worship of their parents being present at the very sites. They saw the green trees. They saw the high hills. They were there. Many of the worship practices were associated with sexual rites, With individual temple prostitutes or whatever. The children were present. Some of them accompanied group orgies. Can't even be described over the pulpit. Though today, this type of language is nothing new in our society in mixed company. And the problem is that they saw no, nothing wrong with it. Uh, today in our society, we have the same thing. We have parent and child entertaining themselves with adult entertainment and nothing wrong. There's conversations that go on between parents and children that have no boundaries. And it's amazing what goes on today. Now, the problem with these altars is that many of them accompanied demon worship. Whether a person knows it or not doesn't matter. It still goes on. The Bible speaks very clearly that there is either power that come from God or power that comes from Satan. And many times these idolatrous places and idols behind them is demons. The Old Testament says that. The New Testament says that through Paul very, very clearly. But notice thirdly in verse three and four that Judah's sin would be judged by God. God would give over all the plunder of the various mountains of their sins to the enemy of Babylon. This was their enemy. Now, many of the sites were very luxurious. Now, if you, if you come out of a Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the churches have the gold and, and the and the, and the uh, expensive artifacts. Uh, if you've ever gone through the Vatican and walked through the gold and everything else and the paintings. And see, there's the thing about religious sites. They always decorate themselves with luxurious silver and gold and everything else. It's the pride of their monument, see? Christian churches are very simple. Now you have some who get off track and they build golden altars or whatever it is. There was a guy, Jaggers, in L.A. years ago and built a golden altar in that. And you have people that do. But for the most part, most of our churches are very simple because we believe in investing money in the people, in the gospel, and not in our buildings. We don't want to display our wealth because our wealth is in Christ Jesus. We want to communicate the right Message to the people. But in religious sites, you always have this. And so God says, listen, all that gold, all that silver, the shrine, I'm going to give it to your enemy. I'm going to bless them with it. The mountain could refer here to, to Mount Zion or just the mountains in general. Scholars are divided, whichever. Notice God called these locations, the high places of sin. The people had erected these locations within their own borders. They had done this of their own accord. The people had first removed the worship of Yahweh and replaced it through the worship of these idols. This is always a two-fold process. You don't just move into something else and that's all that happens. First, you have to knock down the worship of God and then you have to erect the worship of something else. It's a two-fold process. You deny what you believe and then you embrace what you now believe in. This is a conscious act. Exercising one's free will. But notice also that God declares that the people would not be able to hold on to their heritage. He says, and you even yourselves shall let go of your heritage which I gave to you. So in other words, I gave you all, I blessed you all because you were my people. But now, since you're not my people, I have to remove that heritage from you. There was a time in this nation when a family name meant something. Pasadena. Is the passage through the valley. This was the gate to the Kangaroo Valley. This was the prominent families. They all lived up north here. You have prominent names. And when you were born into one of those families, the name of the family meant everything. So whatever you did, you always thought of what it will do to the family. No longer is that the case. Well, this is the case right here. God says, you used to belong to me. You represent me. Now you're misrepresenting me. So you cannot be part of the heritage. I'm going to remove it from you. I'm going to take it from you. They were not being true to Yahweh in their religious practices, rebellious. But notice also that God declares the people would go into captivity. The message has been declared to them over and over and over again. Yahweh would cause them to serve their enemies, the Babylonians. Yahweh would take them to a land they did not know, Babylon. In fact, in the Psalms they cry out how they long and remember Jerusalem. As they were enslaved. But notice Yahweh gives the reason. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. In other words, they were the ones responsible for this calamity. Please note that. Always God points man to his own calamities. God does not afflict man just because he has it in for somebody. God does not bring tragedy on people just because he wants to make somebody squirm. Man is the one who brings things upon himself. They had offended Yahweh and it was too late to avert judgment. And what was coming to them was what they had brought upon themselves. God declares that Judah had kindled this fire. God does not compromise with sin and God does not act indifferent to sin. And if you think that you're the exception, you're not. You fall into the rule. As we'll see of being deceived. Because God will not wink at our sin. He never has. He never will. The permissiveness of our society is headed often by the educational universities. And the following clip will reveal a good example of this. Quote, uh, Sex is a wonderful, crucial part of growing up. And children and teens can enjoy the pleasures of the, their body and be safe too. End of quote. University. A Minnesota Press promotional statement of Judith Levin, a new book entitled Harmful to Minors, The Perils of Protecting Children from Sex. That's the title. Here, Levin says that it is dedicated to debunk the ideology that it's always harmful for kids to have sexual relationship with adults. Together with the irrational fears parents have about so-called pedophiles. So here you have a leading university embracing the philosophy and teaching young adults that there's nothing wrong with your parents having sex with you and that we shouldn't be afraid of the pedophile. He's really a friend of children. These are the things that are going on in our universities today. And the minds of the children and young adults that are going to occupy the political positions are being shaped and formed. If the Lord tarries, what we will see in this coming decade in terms of the progression of evil will be as much as we have seen in the past 20 to 25 years. It's speeding up. It's speeding up. The book of Isaiah says they call evil good and good evil. We're in that day. But has our nation gone too far? Are we like Judah? No remedy. The standards of low moral and ethics in our society is self-judgment really to our nation. The epidemic of crimes is evident by the inability of our courts to be able to handle the load of court cases. Some of them have to be dismissed because they're just not priority. Uh, The revolving door in the prisons because some criminals just really aren't a threat compared to others, so they let them go. The number of divorces that are directly related to the worship of the God of money, sex, and pleasure, and self-esteem is fully blossomed. The consequence is that the present evil being practiced becomes more perverse in the next generation. It progresses so much faster. Paul the Apostle to the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19 says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility or vanity or emptiness of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, we have to be careful as we sit self-righteous and smug. All of us were into the world in some form of depravity. As I told you often, whether you were floating in the sewer, scuba diving in the sewer, you're in the sewer. God does all his fishing in the sewer, but he always cleans his fish and they don't stink. So we're not coming from the self-righteous perspective. We're coming from the perspective of the new mind. Being able to see the deception, being able to see the corruption, being able to see the judgment to come. The nature of Judah's sin was deeply ingrained. Notice secondly, the failure of Judah's sin is given to us in verse 5 down to 8. Now the failure is described through a contrast. Notice first, the Lord declares in verse 5 and 6, the individual... That is cursed. The cursed man is the one who trusts in man. References to another man, another human being. The word trust means to have confidence, to rely on the person for his hopes. Judah was trusting another man, is because they were making the human arm of flesh, which is literal here, the arm of flesh, their dependency. They were looking to Egypt. As you know, in Jeremiah 2.18, God said that Egypt would be a false ally. They, they would not help them. And as we know, um, God defeated them through Babylon. Now, the arm of flesh can be anything. Now, we don't want to get extreme. And a lot of times the world says, oh, you Christians do this. Now, you take advantage of the computer, don't you? Yes. nothing wrong with technology. Nothing wrong with medicine. Nothing wrong with the advance of getting the late you know, whatever's going on. But I don't put my hope in that. That's not my trust for life. It's when you put your trust in these things, if you put it in money rather than the Lord, if you put it in your career rather than the Lord, if you put it in your own ability and talent rather than God's grace who gives you breath to life, that's wrong. So it's always acknowledging God and I will use the the technology. I will use whatever God has in this world, running it through the word of God to make sure that I'm not being part of the evil against God. But my trust is in the Lord. The problem here is that the trust was the arm of flesh. Anything that is dependent on as a substitute for God or to thwart the purposes of God is the arm of flesh. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. Psalm 146.3 says, Do not put your trust in princes nor in the sons of man in whom there is no hope. Psalm 20 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. The only way this can happen, by the way, is the person departs from the Lord. Notice that. The heart speaks of the whole person, who they are in reality, the inner man, character. The heart's departure means it is no longer dependent on the loyalty of Yahweh. It's now looking to something else. And how I have seen this in the years past as I've come to the Lord. People who were so right on, people who were trusting the Lord. And slowly but surely, they drifted, drifted. They started putting their trust more and more on something else. It's almost like, you know, like when I got hurt. Remember, I used to walk around with a, with a cane. And, and I leaned wholeheartedly on that cane, and then slowly but surely I started leaning back on my leg, and, and pretty soon I didn't need the cane any longer. Well, this is what happened to Judah. This is what happens to many people. They're leaning on God wholeheartedly, but then pretty soon they start to depend on their own strength, and and no, and they just throw the cane away. I can do it by myself. Notice in verse six, the Lord declares the outcome of the cursed individual. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and not see good when it comes. He or she will be a dwarf person, spiritually speaking, lacking the abundance of nourishment and the water to grow and develop properly by their own choosing. In fact, it says, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. So he or she will struggle, just get by in life and not be in the environment conducive. For growth because they've departed from the Lord. It's a choice. And so having been joined to God, having had the experience of, of God's goodness, they've moved away from this, and what they've done is that they've they've become a a a dwarf plant. Now you you've all planted, planted plants, and you know they're fertilized and they grow, but if you put this plant, you know, and, and you don't make the hole big enough and you put it in, in clay uh, rather than good soil, then the plant, though it's alive, it never grows. It just stays there. It's stunted. The roots are bound. It can't expand. Notice secondly in verse 7 that the Lord declares the individual that is blessed. Here's the contrast. Of course, Judah had trusted in the arm of flesh. But now he says, now look at, look at your failure by contrast. Here, here's the blessed person. The blessed man is the one who trusts in the Lord. The reference to being blessed is being under the authority of Yahweh, under his loving care, sovereign loving care, wholeheartedly leaning on him. They are under God's protection, under God's direction, under God's provisions. The reference of being blessed is to one who leans wholeheartedly depending on the Lord for his strength, for his knowledge, for his wisdom the blessed person is the one who relies on Yahweh's loyalty and faithfulness because I have walked with God and I see how He has done for me in the past because I've seen how He's been wise to get me through the difficult times because I've seen His faithfulness through the times of suffering and pain I will abide and trust and know that He will come through the blessed man is the one whose hope is the Lord You see, hope always speaks of the future. Hope means the act of confidence, security on someone or something. Hope is based on faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews 11.1. God has declared it. I may not understand how He'll do it, but I know that He can do it. I don't understand how God could make me His son. Logically, I can see how he revealed that he's done it. But I can't understand it altogether. But I trust that he has done it because he says he has. And so I take him at his word.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese, after addressing the critical state of the heart of man, begins to turn the corner with the hope of the gospel as he draws our Simple Truth Study to a close for today. Now, if you've missed any part of this message, you can hear it from beginning to end again anytime online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. And there's much more to this study to come right here next time as well. But if your schedule will permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is simply, Man's Bent is Toward Evil. It's available on CD for only $4. Now, once again, you'll want to ask for the title, Man's Bent is Toward Evil. Or simply mention today's date. Request yours by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Pastor Xavier Reese often quips that the heart of man is good. Good for nothing, that is. Join us for our study of Jeremiah 17 on the next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com